You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 32, verse 22. Genesis 32:22. While you're turning there, let me just ask uh, that you pray for Josh. Uh, Josh and Annie, they're in the ER right now. Josh had yesterday cut his foot real bad on a stake. Uh, they were having a youth event yesterday and he cut, gashed it pretty bad. And uh, so he was stubborn and didn't want to go to the doctor last night, which kind of makes me like him more now. And, uh, but this morning it was looking kind of uh, ugly and infected. And so they, I'm sure Annie talked him into going. So that's where they are now. Let me ask y'all a question. Do y'all think that persistence is good or bad? Good, you know, like good. Persistence is always good. Uh, well, it, it it just depends on the on who's being persistent, doesn't it, and what they're being persistent about. The thirtieth uh, president of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, uh, he said, "Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent." Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated failures. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. Well, normally I would agree, but uh, I don't know if, it's, if persistence is always good because a Nobel Prize winner, Jean-Henri Fabre, uh, would probably say otherwise. He conducted an experiment on a particular type of caterpillar. And I know this is riveting news to many of you. I can see you leaning forward on the edges of your seats to find out about this particular caterpillar. This caterpillar is called the processionary caterpillar. Uh, because when one of the caterpillars in the group moves away from the group, the others go tail to tail. They, they just get, line up right behind them and follow wherever that front, cater, that front caterpillar goes. So in this experiment, uh, Gene, uh, we'll use his American name, uh, he put the ca- a caterpillar, a lead caterpillar, on the edge of a large flower pot on the rim. And as that caterpillar began walking around the rim, he introduced more and more caterpillars to the edge of the rim of the flower pot until there was no space left and it was impossible uh, to tell what was the front, who was the lead, and who was the tail, right? And so the caterpillars, oblivious to their futile effort, kept following in a circle for days, They just walked in a circle around the edge of the rim of that flower pot until they literally one by one fell off uh, from exhaustion and starvation. So persistence, (laughs) persistent effort doesn't always equal victory. And some of y'all are proof of that. (laughs) You've been fighting for 20, 30, 80 years and you you reach a point in your life, you feel like you look back and you're like, I've not, I've not accomplished anything. And And so I believe this text, there's plenty of factors in the text today that talk about uh, the factors that determine the fruit of our determination. And I believe uh, Genesis 32, 22 holds some of the keys to that. Uh, Not only the persistence, but the goals that demand persistence. So let's read this together. These are the words of God. Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. There's just 10 verses. Why don't we stand in honor of God's word? 
I've been reading large passages, so I've been letting you sit down most of the time, but this one's one worth standing for. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. That's a little river. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask A.K. Griffin, one of our sweet secret little servants, always serving somewhere in our church. Would you ask God's blessings on the message today? Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for the rain. I thank you for every person in here who made an effort to come and worship you and in fellowship with other believers. Um, I thank you for Went and the um, time he's put into this sermon. I pray that we can just take it into our hearts and our minds and into our weeks. I pray that each day we wake up with the goal of telling another person about the gospel. Um, I thank you for sending sending your son to die for our sins, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. 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 Y'all can be seated. Thank you, AK. Now, before I dive into this text, I really, I need to spend a a portion of my time setting the stage uh, to see the journey of Jacob that landed him in this wrestling match with God. There's a great backstory here. Remember, Abraham was married to Sarah. They had a son, Isaac, right? Then Isaac grows up. He marries Rebecca and they have two kids, Jacob and Esau. And it's important to note that this whole series uh, of events that we're going to talk about today is set off by this simple prayer back in Genesis 25 verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, "If, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And God basically says, well, you got twins inside you, but the older one's going to serve the younger one, which is not normally what happened. Verse 25, the first came out red and all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which by the way means hairy. And verse 26, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. Now y'all need to know that Jacob means heel. um, And it's a play on words uh, there. It's like an idiom because a, a heel grabber in the Old Testament was an idiom for a deceiver, all right? So really his name has double meaning and uh, Jacob is the deceiver, all right? Fast forward to adulthood. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold to his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And I don't have time to go into all the details of a birthright, but it was a really big thing, all right? Then we jump to the deception of Jacob uh, in getting a blessing from his dying blind father. Even though he was the youngest, he's, he's wanting this, um, this blessing. So technically the birthright and the blessing were supposed to go to Esau. But Jacob, at the advice of his mother, I might add, uh, disguises himself as Esau with hair on his arms and so on. Then in Genesis 27, verse 30, uh, we see Jacob trick his brother out of his father's blessing. And in verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, meaning Jacob goes out having tricked his father, his father gave him the blessing. He walks out, in comes Esau, who's gone out, killed an animal, and come in with the wild, you know, with this food that he's prepared for his dad. I've got this delicious food for you. And his dad's like, I, I, who are you? And he goes, I'm, I'm Esau, your son. And, he, and so uh, Esau flips out. It says he cried in verse 30, uh, Genesis 27, 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Verse 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are approaching. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Well, mama Rebecca finds out about it. So she sends Jacob off to go down to a place called Haran, where there's her brother lived, a guy named Laban, all right? She doesn't want her two kids to get in a fight and she'll lose both her sons in one day. So she's like, I gotta break this up. Let, him, let, let Esau cool down. Then in Genesis 29, we see the irony of deceiving Jacob, getting deceived by, his, by Laban, right? He, he's, he wants to, he, he he wants to marry his daughter and he tricks him into marrying the wrong daughter, Leah. And, and, and then he has to work 10 years. And then he says, he marries Leah. Then he has to work another 10 uh, to get Rachel. And so he himself is getting tricked. Then we see God bless Jacob for 20 plus years in, in Laban's goat breeding business, basically. Uh, and Laban would try to trick, uh, you know, there was a lot of trickery going on. Laban was trying to trick him again. He'd say, hey, listen, I tell you what, instead of paying you, uh, whatever goats that are bred that turn out spotted, you can keep the spotted ones. I mean, odds are there's not gonna be a lot of spotted ones, right? Well, then God would touch all the goats and then they'd all be born spotted. Well, then he said, well, doggone it. You, I, I, you can have all the striped ones. How about that? Well, then God would touch all the goats and they'd all be born striped. So Jacob credits this to God's blessing. So his little harem of goats, you know, was multiplying, but it was making Laban's sons angry. They thought, some conniving was going on here. So they, in Genesis 31, verse one, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that, is, that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I'll be with you. So Jacob's on the run from Laban, his deceitful father-in-law. And he keeps running until the end of chapter 31 when him and his father-in-law hug and make up and, it's, and there's peace, right? So now, after more than two decades, Jacob's on his journey at the command of the Lord to go back to his home where he's inevitably gonna encounter his ticked off brother Esau, right? And he's scared, all right? 
And so Jacob cries out uh, to God in Genesis 32, verse 9, basically saying, hey, you told me to do this. You told me to go here. So you got to help me. All right. Uh, so Jacob splits his crew up after that, sends gifts to his brother. And then we come to our main text. All right. Genesis 32, verse 24. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. <laughs> what? I mean, you're just cruising along through a narrative and it's like, oh, and then there was this kind of divine holy wrestling match where God in the flesh wrestles with a guy and, um, you know, and he goes away limping. It's pretty cool. And then it goes back to the story. So why is God in the flesh wrestling with Jacob? And why did we have to read all that backstory to explain it? Well, first, and I've got four points this morning, really leading to one. But the four points this morning begin with God's will is more than where. God's will is more than the where. Saying yes to a parent or a job or a wedding proposal or uh, saying yes to a calling to be a pastor or a missionary or a servant of God in a local church. Saying yes is not the end of obedience, right? It isn't the end of submission. Y'all remember that old hymn, uh, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That was a good one. But guess what? The where isn't the end of obedience. You can be where God wants you to be physically and not be where he wants you to be spiritually. Genesis 32 verse 9, Jacob said, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred. I'm where, you, I'm where I'm supposed to be, and that's great, praise God, but it's not all of God's will. And we should want God's will. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So location is part of God's will. And by the way, Jacob has been incredibly persistent to move in the direction of God. He doesn't argue with his location. He doesn't leave Haran because Laban tricked him into marrying the wrong daughter. We don't see him fighting with uh, uh, Laban despite 10 uh, different changes to his wages. You can read that in the text. And we don't see him arguing about returning home to Isaac. But church, just because he's where he needs to be doesn't mean he's not fighting with the Lord. It doesn't mean that he's not wrestling with full surrender. Submission to Christ is more than coordinates on a map. It's more than a verbal agreement. You could walk into a sanctuary and raise your hands to Jesus and not be submitted to God in your heart. I was watching a rom-com lately. Rom-com, for you that don't know, is a romantic comedy. And before you judge me, men, let me just say... You can't force your wives to watch Clint Eastwood and John Wick every night, all right? It's got to be like, you know, once a month, you got to throw in a Hallmark in there, all right? So we were watching this rom-com, and, uh, and it was really about this husband and wife. They had been divorced and were separated and were coming back together years later. But she finds out that he's kept this spot of land that was kind of representative of their romance, right? And it was real sweet, he kept it. Because in his mind, that place, that location, represented the dream, their dream marriage, right? But I got news for you. <laughs> Romance is about more than location. You can have a dream home, but it won't equal a dream life, 
right? And God's location doesn't equal the center of his will. I see so many marriages. I see college graduates. I see retirees who act like location is completion. Location equals joy. And to prove that's a lie, let me just ask you, who in here has ever had a vacation ruined because of sunburn on day one? Mm -hmm. Anyone? Never? Never. Y'all are so holy. Um, all right, what about uh, a, a family squabble on a, on a vacay? Yeah? Hey, you stick about 15 rednecks in a cabin in Gatlinburg, and somebody's, somebody's going to fight, all right? All right, what about kids squabbling? Sickness? Yeah? Yeah, you get there and you get sick. We've got people out of church right now that, are, that have, were on vacation, got sick on vacation. Uh, Airbnbs that were, you know, weren't booked. Something goes wrong with your booking and your canceled flights. Location is not the, is not a destination. It's not just the destination that makes it a good vacation, right? Jacob's right in the middle of where he should be, but he's not quite right. Secondly, God's will is more than what? Now, to be fair, Mark 3.35 says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother, right? Jesus speaking. James 2.26 says, faith apart from works is dead. So obedience to God's where and what do have spiritual value, right? The what we do is part of obedience to God, but the what isn't simply what we do. And to demonstrate this again, I want to go back to this prayer that Jacob prays, um, and it was an incredible prayer. What he wanted was so biblical. He wanted protection for his family, and he wanted the promises of God. So what Jacob pleads with God for in Genesis 32, 11 is incredible. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. And by the way, the mothers with the children, that phrase, it literally means lest he smite the mother upon the child. It has the idea of a most pitiless, um, raging hunter that would be so cruel as to kill a hen while she's crouching over her chicks. So basically, Jacob's anticipating a worst case scenario where while a, ch a mother is circled around protecting the child, they would run them both through with a sword. That's what he's picturing. And he's crying out to God to protect him for it. And then he comes up with this brilliant plan to confront Esau. First, he sends ahead messengers to Esau. And the Hebrews suggest they were actually angels. And this is funny. Uh, listen to their detailed report. This is proof that uh, angels are men. Genesis 32, verse 6. Technically, that's a whole nother sermon about, anyway. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and there are 400 men. Anything else? I mean, did he like the gift? <laughs> I mean, what was this, what did his face look like? I was, uh, I was listening to a comedian the other day and he was talking about how he went to play golf with his buddy Mike and he came in from playing golf all day with him and he's like, his wife was like, uh, How's Mike doing since the divorce? He goes, um, uh, I don't know. Well, is Mike seeing anyone? Um, I couldn't tell you. Did y'all ride in the same golf cart? Yeah, yeah. 
So you were with Mike for four and a half hours on the golf course and you don't know how he's doing or if he's seeing anyone. No, just never came up. Thought it'd be kind of awkward. Hey, nice hook, you know, but are you seeing anyone? You know, it's just, it's dudes talking. And I believe it's part of God's uh, ploy to, to scare Jacob, really. I think God used these angels' lack of report. Verse 7 in my sanctified imagination, it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, right, really from the lack of information. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that's left will escape. And of course, Jacob prepared a really lavish gift for his brother Esau, sent that ahead of him. Uh, Genesis 32, 14, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, and on and on and on. Verse 20, for he thought I may, appe- I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, perhaps he'll accept me. So Jacob (laughs) is doing a lot of what? Jacob is definitely an active fella. He's planning, he's acting, he's, he's still scheming, right? And what Jacob wants in this wrestling match with God is a blessing. He wants the right thing. But what we do is only part of God's will. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, which is an amazing passage, Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of God does. Well, okay, that seems to be proven Jacob's point. He who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? Isn't doing part, isn't that the will of God? And he'll say, I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So doing is not all there is to God's will. Church, I believe some of us are trying to find God's will only in the where and in the what. If I can just do this or do that, I'll be in the center of God's will. But God's will is more than where and more than what. Third, God's will is how. It's the how we do things. And some of Jacob's how is incredible, especially regarding how he prayed and pleaded for blessing. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. There it is. Making supplication for all the saints. That's why we call it prayer warriors, right? Because it is hard to pray. I always tell people, if you have trouble falling asleep at night, start praying. Get out a journal and start writing people's names down and praying for them. You'll get sleepy or read the Bible. (laughs) You know, I mean, and and, uh, Luke 11, verse 1, after Jesus had taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer, in verse 5, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? And say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door's now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And by the way, this is like back then, one room house, you've barricaded the door from who knows what, right? You you don't get up and light. I mean, it's not like you have a lantern and a lighter in your pocket, all right? This isn't flip the switch on. Hey, Google, you know, this is like, uh, I got to get the, if I do this, I'm going to wake the whole house up. We're going to be exhausted tomorrow. We won't be able to plant the crops. I mean, it's going to throw everything off. So no, 
Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, his brazenness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Verse 13, sounds ridiculous because it was supposed to sound ridiculous. Your kid wants something to eat and you're going to throw a snake at him? Verse 13, if you then who are evil <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can jump to Luke 18. I don't have time to read it, but that's another similar story of pleading and, and, and being persistent, annoying God with your prayers. <laughs> he loves to be annoyed with prayer. James 5, 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What does that mean? It means that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, a sinful nature. That's what he's saying. Yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit, right? So despite the circumstances of his life, Jacob is incredibly fervent in his fight. Someone once said, never forget that the word persevere comes from the prefix per, meaning through, coupled with the word severe. It means to keep pressing on, trusting God, looking up, doing our duty, even through severe circumstances. So Jacob's persistence in prayer and in life are noteworthy. He seized an opportunity to take his brother's birthright. I mean, after all, his brother despised it and didn't even want it. I might as well take it. I'll do something with it. Then he went through all the covert ops to trick his dying father for the blessing. Then he stuck it out for 20 years for a bride. Then he prays an incredible prayer for protection and blessing. Then he splits his caravan, spoils his brother with lavish gifts. He is definitely a persevering man. He, Jacob seems to give 110% at everything he puts his hand to. Many of us know the last half of James 2.26. Faith apart from works is dead. But what does the first part of that verse say? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. That means that the spirit is vital to our lives. And friend, it's not just the spirit within us, but it's the spirit through us that makes the where and the what we are doing God's perfect will. Remember, I already told you that God had told Jacob and Esau's mom everything that was about to happen. So she knew the what. Says these, these are going to be two nations. They're going to be divided. The younger is going to, the older is going to serve the younger, right? But he never said how he's going to do that. And to be sure, God is never sanctioning self-serving deception, which is exactly what Jacob had been living his whole life. He tricked a starving brother out of a birthright and a blind dad out of a blessing. That's Jacob. And, and God never explained the how, and it, but he's, he's creating the how on his own. Genesis 12, 3, God told Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, that's grandpa. And God repeats this promise to Isaac, his dad, Genesis 26, 4, in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now he's the third generation and he wants that blessing. God blessed his grandpa, God blessed his dad, now I gotta have it. And I believe he understands the significance 
of that blessing. He wants it. He wants to, but the problem is he knows only God can give it, but he's trying to fake it and take it just like he's been doing all his life. <laughs> right? This is what I believe is the key that's leading up to this wrestling match with God, this all night fight. Henry Ward Beecher was a U.S. clergyman and a leader in the movement to abolish slavery in the 1800s. And he said, there's a difference between perseverance and obstinacy. One comes from a strong will and the other comes from a strong won't. <laughs> and I believe God was about to wrestle Jacob to show him how strong his won't was. You think you're compliant with God. Oh, you just ain't look deep enough into your heart. I don't think Jacob saw how disconnected his faith was from the will of God. I think he thought it was more of a, like a 60-40, 50-50 thing. I'll do this part. God, you do your part, right? And a lot of people have that view of God. You know, hey, I, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll go to church on Sunday, but you know, you got to answer this prayer. And there's this kind of, uh, you know, struggling match between you and God. God's about to alter Jacob's life, right? And what's amazing, he's going to use his own stubborn persistence to do it. And this is ushers in our last point today. God's will is the who. God's will is who, who you are. Let me just ask you this. Which of the fruits of the spirit describe the what and the where of God's will? Fruits of the spirit. You want to be a fruitful person, right? I want to be a fruitful Christian. Well, which of the fruits of the spirit describe the what of God's will, the where of God's will? You know, all right? Y'all remember those from uh, Galatians chapter five, verse 22? Fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Y'all can sing it, some of you, from <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes. <laughs> All of them, though, faithfulness might be, uh, have action to it. But the point is, the fruits of the Spirit, that they are, they're how, they're who you are, right? The problem with a lot of followers of Christ, and I believe most unbelievers as well, is that we may know where and what, we may even know how, but we forget the who. Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What in the world does that mean? That means if I'm not abiding in Christ, I can get up, I can cook breakfast, I can get the kids off to school, I can clean the house, brush my teeth, crush it at my job, coach my kids soccer game after school and have done nothing. Nothing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've, you've worked all day. I mean, Todd, I hate to pick on you, but Todd Baker, when all that storm hit, I mean, it knocked um, hundreds and hundreds of trees. I mean, his, it looked, of course, y'all know if you live up in Rossville area, it just annihilated so many people's yards. And every day I would talk, whenever I would call Todd, he was cutting, yeah, I hear chainsaws, all right? And he had just reached that spot where he had it just perfect. Just cut the grass. Y'all, dad, you know, men, you know, you got that edge and, boy, it looks good. You just kind of sit there and like, have you a cold drink? And you're just looking at your yard. You're like, boy, it looks good. Right. And then that night, another storm hit and he woke up everything all messy again after he had just poured it. You can just labor and labor and labor and feel like you're getting nowhere. I remember when my uh, our family moved to South Asia, you know, we're like sacrificing for the Lord. We quick sold our house, lost a hundred grand 
Boy, we're sacrificing something for the Lord, aren't we? I get to there, I'm like, you must have something important for me to do, to drag me all the way over here. And God real quickly taught me, son, I didn't bring you over here just to do something for me. I could save people with any, any day I wanted to, with or without you, buddy. I brought you here to work on you, to sanctify you. There are parts of your life I want strengthened and I want you to grow. And this is how, this is the only way that it's going to happen. I know best, I'm God, and this is what I've got for you. And it just reminded me, like, it's not just location. God is working on me. He cares more about our souls than anything else on this planet. God cares about your soul, not your yard, not your house, not your bank account, you. Not just what you do, not the classes you teach, not the amount of Bible you read, not that those things are, aren't good. But he wants you. He wants relationship with you. Y'all have all seen people that get together at Christmas and no one's connecting. They're just sitting there looking at their phones. They're right there, but they're not, they, you're, you're not together. You're not engaged in conversation. God wants the who, the abiding, not just the checkbox Christian. I know it seems like we've got four points this morning, but I, I've, I've really been waiting for this one moment. Why did God in the flesh wrestle with Jacob? It wasn't to show that Jacob was stronger because he, he could have touched his hip at the beginning of the fight. It says at the end of the fight, he saw that he wouldn't let him go. Even after he touched his hip, he wouldn't let him go. So why would he do it? By the way, Jacob only prevailed because God's power was veiled. <laughs> if God were to unleash a, a flicker of who he was on Jacob, he'd be a dead man. We know that from scripture. So what's he doing there, right? Because Jacob needed, I believe, to die to self. I believe God was confronting Jacob and his need to fully surrender to God. God had been dealing so gently with Jacob and all his deceit for two decades. I want the blessing, but you want to get it your way. You don't want the blessing the way I want to give it to you. Genesis 32, 26, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob, why in the world would God, omniscient God, why would he ask for his name? He already knew his name. I believe there's something incredible going on here. Remember back in Genesis 27, verse 18? So he went into his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. He said it three times, by the way. He lied to his dad three times. If you go back and look in the text. And here, God's saying, what's your name? Is it Esau? Who are you? <laughs> and, he, and then he goes on, uh, just like Peter. Remember Peter's restoration? Peter denied Christ three times. And after Jesus' resurrection, he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? And he's like, you know that I love you. All right, Jacob had lied about his name. He's been deceiving for his blessings, but now he's pleading. Verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. By the way, a derivative of Israel means chief. You're not going to become chief of the kingdom of Israel by fighting against me. You're going to become it because I'm giving you the name. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? You already know it. Why are you asking me my name? It's not like you don't know who you're fighting with, buddy. <laughs> and so there he blessed him. Verse 30, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God and yet my life has been delivered. By the way, there's a lot of the word face to face, face to face, face to face is all through this passage. 
the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Right? Jacob's limp became a living testimony of a guy wrestling with the Lord. Some of us have more than a limp. Right? Friend, I'd rather walk with God's commissioned limp than in my own flesh. And I'd rather limp into heaven than run into hell. <laughs> and God wants who we are. And Christ cares about who we are to be. He loves you to the very core of your soul. And he will wrestle all night with you to prove it. And some wrestling's good. I think wrestling in prayer is good. Begging God, not demanding, but wrestling with him until he gives you what you're praying for, if what you're praying for is in the will of God. There's a guy named uh, Roy Dell, is a chaplain of the Payne College in Georgia. He preached the shortest sermon in college history, but he had a really long topic, right? He said, what does, what does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? The complete content of his sermon was one word, nothing, nothing. He later explained the one-word sermon was meant for people brought up on the gimme, gimme gospel. When asked how long it took him to prepare the message, he said, 20 years. <laughs> it took the Lord 20 years of Jacob's deceiving, grabbing. He came out of the womb grabbing his brother. He was always grasping, deceiving, taking birthrights, taking blessings, holding on. And God's saying, listen, you need to let go of that stuff. I am the blessing, grab hold of me. And some of y'all are trying to find that thing in a location, in retirement, in, you know, in a perfect family. And you're looking for all that joy in these things instead of God. God is to be the center of your life and desire. And if he is, <laughs> you will have all these other things coming to you. And I'm not talking about a, just a feel good gospel. But I mean, when we pursue Christ with all our heart, a lot of these strivings that we're going after come into play, come into, be, become answered. We should strive with God in prayer. We should wrestle. We can be in a wrestling match with God, but buddy, I can tell you ahead of time, you're going to lose. <laughs> Unless it's a wrestling match of prayer. I pray that we'll be people surrendered to God. Would you stand? Father God, uh, I'm just thinking of an illustration. I'm going to pause my prayer. While y'all are standing, y'all open your eyes. I got to tell you this. I was talking to this ser about this sermon with my father-in-law, Tommy Vincent. Tommy preached here. I wish I could get him more, but he's always in interims, different places. But uh, Tommy said when he was a kid, he had been moved from one school to the other. And it's like you, you had to kind of make your presence back then, 50s, 60s, whenever it was. He's like, you got to... You know, you got to stand up for yourself. And so they, these kids would wrestle. They, they'd have these wrestling matches. And he said, uh, this guy, this guy got locked onto him. You know, he had, he was at a new school. He kind of had to, you know, flex his muscles. And he said, I was a pretty scrappy guy. And if you can imagine sweet Vicky's sweet father being a scrappy guy, but he was. And he said, this guy, we got locked in, in this battle, this wrestling match. And he put his legs around me and scissored me, you know, like, and he said, but I wouldn't give, I wouldn't tap out. And so we stayed there until the bell rang for the class and he let go of me. He said, but I couldn't move my legs because I was numb from the waist down. He had pissed, he had scissored him so long, he lost all feeling. His friends had to get, help him get up and because and, he was so stubborn. 
that he would not give up. And some of that can be good, church. But when it comes to your salvation and God's will for your life, it ain't good. You need to give in to God. Stop wrestling with him. Let him give you your new name. Let him give you your direction. Amen. Father, we love you. We praise you. Uh, We thank you for how life is just such an example of your word. And you're teaching us constantly. And we feel, I feel in my flesh every day I wrestle with you. I am a stubborn man. And I know I'm not the only one in here. We don't have to be outwardly stubborn to be inwardly defiant. And so I pray, God, against that spirit of flesh in this church today. If there are people that have been wrestling with you, trying to do things their way, their timing, instead of listening to what you want them to be in Christ. So I pray now, if there's anyone like that, they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If there are Christians here that have been fighting against you, that they would surrender it all to you. It's all or nothing. And I pray if there are people here that want to join the church today and begin to serve in some area of our church, that they would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.